I will roll it. God damn it all. I'll roll it all day long. <laughs> roll the fuck out of it. Rolling, 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 rolling. What? <laughs> Limping with the biscuit, boy. <laughs> I think right? I think you broke me, dude. Hey, I mean, Fred Durst, <laughs> he might be like one of the douchiest douches that ever douched mm-hmm. in the 90s. Now right. he just makes bad movies and apparently has a jazz night or at least had a jazz night. In, really? At like a bar in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. Like that was his show. He just uh, have you ever like looked at his Instagram? Fred Durst Instagram. I, I saw a picture of me with that weird hair and shit, but uh, I think he put uh, since Limp Biscuit started doing stuff. There's more band things, but it used to be just uh, old station wagons. Ah, that was it. <laughs> just pictures of old station wagons from mm-hmm. Mr. Fred Durst. Wow. <clears throat> but here's something that I wanted to bring to your attention because mm. I saw it at work today and it was very very funny to me. Okay. Uh. The, the redneck kid that I work with was wearing a t-shirt with a picture of Joe Biden, mm-hmm. but in clown makeup. Okay. And it said, congrats, President Pedo. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I really wanted to ask him, like, what does any of that mean? <laughs> <laughs> because, all right, if, if you were just calling him a pedophile, why would you also put him in clown makeup? Right. Are, are they just implying that clowns are pedophiles? I don't know, or, or they were implying that it was drag, or that I get that Joe Biden is a clown, but that also has nothing to do with being pedophile. I was I right, was so but, taken aback with so many questions. But the big, the big, uh, the big righty whistle at this point is drag shows. So I was assuming maybe it wasn't clown makeup; it was just bad. No, it was straight up clown. It was okay. Yeah. Because that's a, that's a whole different thing. No, 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 no. This was, it wasn't like New York Dolls clown makeup. Gotcha. It, w- it was full on like somebody photoshopped just colors and clown makeup. Over gotcha, there. gotcha. But yeah, congrats, President Pedo. And I was just taken aback by, hmm, that's really stupid. <laughs> like, I don't like Joe Biden more than anyone. Right. I mean, fuck him. Yeah. But, but also, like, that's a very confounding t-shirt. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is it? Half the stuff that comes out, it's like I remember when uh, Let's Go Brandon came out, and uh, I still, you know, because of the jobs I have, I know a lot of these people. Uh-huh. I have fucking absolutely zero clue. It out about four months. I finally asked them, "What the fuck? Who's Brandon? What the fuck are you talking about?" Uh-huh. And they told me, "I said, why didn't you just fucking say that, you knucklehead?" Oh well, because it's funny that way. Like, well, no, it's not. not. To say it. Goddamn baby. How about it? But anyway, and, and I would uh, like to remind you and anyone listening, uh, do you remember the like biggest pedophile in American government history? The biggest? The longest serving, I believe it was Speaker of the House, Dennis Haster. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Republican. Mm-hmm. Convicted child molester. Mm-hmm. There you go. So, uh. <laughs> it, it it really like betrays something in them, you know, the whole people in glass houses thing, because I mean, you're kind of telling on yourself when you're going that hard after something like that, that like that the, there's something about you that mm-hmm. you hate deep down. And you know what kills me about this? Whole, I, I believe oh. that's known as projection. Mm-hmm. And what kills me all about like this got to go straight to pedo, straight to this, straight to Nazi straight. Fucking there's enough shit to talk about that actually exists 
that we could actually talk about and maybe do something about instead of being complete fucking extremist knuckleheads? Mm-hmm. It's just an idea. I mean, it's a bad idea. Yeah. I think we should solely focus on culture wars. <laughs> yeah. I suppose. It's more fun. My favorite was uh, their... Uh, well, how could highways be racist? Like, well, that's the history of highways, is that they cut them down the middle of cities to segregate them. Like, mm. that's exactly pretty much... Like, besides just transportation, that's mm-hmm. what they were for. <laughs> yeah, they'd set them right up through neighborhoods so that they could evict every the fuck body and set up scattered site housing or set up... Yeah, that's... Uh-huh. Yes, why projects exist. <laughs> it's... Oh, oh, it's very funny. The right wing in this country is amazing. Mm. Yes. Ah, oh, if if they weren't so scary, sometimes I'd laugh at the stupidity. Yep. And uh, yeah. Speaking of stupid and scary, hey everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror. Mo- Sorry, I choked on my own spit. <laughs> that was the delay there. We're, we talk about horror movies, so you don't have to. Yeah, yeah. That's where I was? Yeah. All right, it's fine. My name is Chris Pfeff, and I'm one of your intrepid hosts. And I am James Marino, and I am the other, well, not intrepid, host. You're here. Yeah, I'm... Not not quite intrepid. No, I'm kind of just, you know... You're you're not the luxury vehicle that intrepid once was. I'm ennuying over here, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Ennuying. Yeah. Wonderful. Nice so, turn of phrase. So, so this week's a James. Mm-hmm. It's a James pick. Yes, it is. We're talking about 1983's Something Wicked This Way Comes, mm-hmm. written by the Ray Bradbury, uh, directed by Jack Clayton, starring Vidal Peterson as Will Holloway, Sean Carson as Jim Nightshade. Jason Robards as Charles Holloway, Jonathan Price as Mr. Dark, and then you also got some uh, some Royal Dano floating around in there. Mm-hmm. Some uh, some Pam Greer, Pam motherfucking Greer, Diane Ladd. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's all your f- favorite stars of yesteryear. Yeah. Oh wow. So, uh, James. Yes. Do you have a question for me? Yes, Chris. How did you like this movie? James, I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> no, I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up. This is one of the first like kids movies that we've done because this is a Walt Disney production. Mm-hmm. But it was also the in dark 80s, Disney. Yeah, in 80s Disney production when mm-hmm. they weren't doing great. Nope. they Because I, I, I remember fucking the Apple Dumpling Gang. That was what, 78? Not and a I, clue. Well, Don Knotts, they they redid a 60s one, like an early 60s one. With Don Knotts! And Tim Conway. Oh, shit. Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, oh, fucking, oh, no, no, you. But, James, yes. I fucking dug this movie. I wasn't sure if I was gonna. So so you liked it as well, though, mm-hmm. I take it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there are certain parts of it I'm like, oh, Jesus. But for the most part, yeah, it fucking held up and it hit. And I wanted to revisit it because I didn't read anything about it beforehand. I didn't try to, you know, kind of sneak a peek at anything. I just wanted to experience this as an adult because the last time I saw this movie was at the movie theater in 1983. And I fucking loved it then. But I, I loved it for different reasons. And now I love it for another reason. So, yeah, this movie was the shit. So, 
this movie uh, combines two things that I really, really, really love, and it that's what gets me immediately. Mm. Uh, boy adventure. Mm-hmm. Because I, and again, people know our politics. We are very much about equality and not pushing uh, gender, what have yous. Yes. But when I was a boy... Mm-hmm. I was really into, like, boy adventures. Oh, fuck yeah. Like, reading Hardy Boys and shit. Mm -hmm. And the spookier ones were the ones that I really, really loved. And this has that classic, like, boy detective adventure, best friend story going on in it. So that immediately, like, I didn't have any nostalgia for this film Mm -hmm. or the time period in which it's set. Fuck them. They're probably all racists anyway. Who gives a shit? But just it took me back to being a young boy and had I seen this back in the day, this would have been my favorite fucking movie of all time. Uh A second favorite thing that this does is it is legitimate horror for children. Yes. Back when it was okay to scare kids Mm -hmm. because I don't watch a whole lot of the newer kids horror because they try to be funny and goofy and yada, 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 yada. Mm -hmm. This is a very serious tone on top of, you know, some whimsical fun adventure points. But it's very fucking dark. Mm-hmm. But it's also kid-friendly and dark in a way that just, man, I missed when we were allowed to scare kids. And they went hard. They went hard. With with, with the dread, with the mood, everything. They just fucking pegged it. Um, I will tell you, the one bit of trivia that I did read afterwards is that um, they originally wanted somebody like um, Christopher Lee is oh, dark. Christopher Lee would have just put this movie over the top, but Jonathan, Jonathan motherfucking Price, Price is really goddamn good. Because I knew him, because like prior to that, I used to have, oh, well, I used to get to go to like a bunch of musicals and shit as enrichments for you know troubled kids, mm-hmm. fucking Avita, all that shit. I'd seen Jonathan Price's, um, God, he was in um, Miss Saigon. He was uh, God. The engineer, I think. I wanted. I forgot. He he was in that. I remember seeing him in that. And then I saw him as Juan Perón. And so the fucking guy had presence. That guy act right. Mm-hmm. So he's very young, but he brought a gravitas to that role. And I was just like, okay, if you couldn't afford Chris Chris Lee or any of them, fucking and, this is the guy. And honestly. If I'm being very honest, I think he gave a better performance than Christopher Lee would have given. Mm-hmm. Christopher Lee is very much, not, not very much, he's a classic actor. I'm right. not going to be a dick about it. But the voice helps him out a lot. Christopher Lee is a presence. Exactly. When I think of his acting, I don't think of his acting. I just, when he's there, like, anything oh, he shit, does is Christopher okay. Because he's got a presence. The way he carries himself, his, that stentorian voice, that mm. But he doesn't need to bring anything else. I'm sure he does, or he did. Yeah. But, you know, he doesn't need to because he's Christopher motherfucking Lee. Right. Like, Wicker Man, that was just him shouting. Mm Mm-hmm. That fucking hair. Uh Uh-huh. But I think Jonathan Price taps into something a little more dark Mm -hmm. than Christopher Lee would have. And it's fucking spectacular. Well, with the youth of Jonathan Price, he brings a certain primacy to the evil. Uh-huh. Because otherwise, you know, it, it's an old, ancient, whatever. It's a cyclical. But he, he, the amount that he gives to it, 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 it just works. And he's got that menace because he's got that youthful, like, he could fucking cap you right here, dude. He, you could, he could end you just by looking at you. 
and he'd move so quick, you know? I say, and with him being younger, like you said, I think it really does add to the fact that it's he's supposed to be timeless, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Whereas, you know, an older gentleman, I mean, Christopher Lee wasn't old in 1983, mm-hmm. but he wasn't a young man. And, and it also, a, I believe he was a more recognizable face. I don't know that much about Jonathan Price's career circa 1983, but, you know. Broad motherfucking way. If you were there. He was the shit. That was a name. Uh-huh. They got a catch. Oh, I was going to say. Oh, the, and the good thing is that the youthfulness of him counterpoints the age of Jason Robards. Exactly. It's a very good contrast. And there's so many tiny, tiny little things. Uh, the gentleman who directed it also directed Moby Dick and uh, I forgot the other one. But yeah, he's, he's the fucking director, director. And um, he, he just little stuff like. When they're running. Before this, he had done The Great Gatsby. He'd done The Great Gatsby and Moby Dick. Oh. Yeah. This guy directed the fuck out of shit. You know? So, But there's little bits of it, like, because of cyclical nature. It's like when he's running on, running down the street and you keep seeing the um, barber pole. Mm-hmm. When the first time he does it, you hear that tink of the grate. That same grate they're underneath later. Yep. It's a counterpoint, in it, and it comes back. Dink. And there's all, so many things that comes back, and then it cycles again because the circus is cyclical. It was amazing. And it's a very – again, I've not read the story. so oh, dude. I, <laughs> Do it. I will not be obviously commenting on the source material. Just, I will. Just what is from the film. But it very much is for kids, mm. but it is tackling very, very – Deep and dark adult subjects as well. and well, that's, that's Bradbury a, for you. Exactly. And the contrast of that is so fucking good because it, it really is a film that you can sit down and use to like really scare your kids. Fuck yeah. While watching a genuinely good movie that is well-written mm-hmm. and just has a flat-out good story. It, it's nothing yeah. super surprising, and it exactly telegraphs what it's going to do, mm-hmm. and yet it is still fucking fantastic. And think about some of the things that have been done to fucking death, parodied to death, yet it still felt okay when I watched it. Mm-hmm. I've seen the same story a billion times. It's the Faustian Bargains. But the way they presented it, that fucking parade march, oh. when you see the, the barber... It is the fucking bearded lady. You see the, the cigar bar- store owner. Yeah. yeah. The cigars, it was the, in- and I'm just like, dude, that is harsh. Uh-huh. And it, it, it seems like, you know, lighthearted. And if you were just watching it any other way, if you just saw that piece, you don't really notice the sadness in the actor's face. If you never, if you had it out of context, but in context with the looks of trapness with the, the, the blind, the blind librarian, all that shit just right there on parade. It was, I, I was scared again as a grown up. And just the, like you said, the little, uh, flourishes of just, this guy knows how to make a film mm-hmm. when the barber was talking to the fortune teller and it's just up close on his sweaty face while he's, <sighs> Mm-hmm. Breathing so goddamn hard, like yeah, that's an intense scene, and like not much is really happening. Mm-hmm. She's just telling him that he's now going to meet women. Yep, 
and he's getting so worked up. It's so goddamn good. Or again, hiding the kids in the sewer grates, just the angles that he used to show that the little filmic things that let you the exact man. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, the show, not tell Mm -hmm. there are plenty of places in this film where it doesn't need dialogue. And it, and there is where a good director can take over and really make it a good film. And, and yeah, because one of the things that I'm learning in the improv class is the importance of pauses when you speak. So you, the, everybody fills in the pauses, those little gaps in between when you speak. So it's the same visually, those gaps, that, those pauses, so that you can really soak in. If you think about a lot of the movies we see are beautiful. They're like works of art in and of themselves, right? If you dig too hard in any of the plot points, if you dig too, this movie will fall the fuck apart. But you have to kind of look at it as a whole piece. You know, the the words from Bradbury as that that's own art piece, the, the the way they film its own art piece together. And that's what takes you that's what really takes this movie, because this movie and lesser hands, lesser written, not as well written, would just be a clunky, clunky hunk of shit. It sure would. Cause it just any little thing could have fucked this movie right the hell up. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. No. And just the child acting on display, the the two leads, I thought they were good. Yeah, I, I, they were children. Yeah, and uh, you could see them act, but that's okay because fucking they're 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 pulling some weight with the words. They couldn't change the words. They couldn't fuck up the words because that's Bradbury. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So they had to know that exactly. So I wrote them a lot. You know, a lot of leeway. And they did not take me out of it because that's the worst thing you can do. One of the eeriest things, and it's usually not like demon child or possessed child that gets me, Mm. that little redheaded kid, after after they leave the teacher's house and he walks outside and the way he walks toward them, Mm -hmm. like he had just gotten his body, it's so foreign and so fucking off-putting. You don't need a demon child with red eyes and whatever else that modern horror thinks is scary. Mm -hmm. You need a kid who's just dead staring. At when, these remember other the, the guy he was before that was fucking dead staring, exactly. just like that, and he'd always moved kind of jerkily. So yeah, that that kept through. And that's great directing of a child actor to no, I need you to do this. And the other the other chilling part is when oh god, um, when they were talking about how the car- carousel can change your age. Yeah, and he goes. You were gonna fight. you were gonna do it, Jim. You were gonna get and so you could be what a foot taller than me. Yeah, so you can be two feet taller than me, looking down at me, and, and you what, were gonna ditch me. And what chilled me is that kid didn't say a fucking word. He just kind of dead stared and walked away. And I'm like, God, that's cold. That's fucking harsh and cold. And you could miss that tiny instant because there's so many little instances here. That's why you needed those those spaces, so you could just process what you just saw because you know you you could you could float over moments like that the greats that for there there's so many oh there's so many little scenes in there you could just pass over and not really give thought to but they give you the time to think and one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about i, I was thinking about how this has just very adult themes in it as well mm-hmm. is so we have kind of the opposite experience 
Whereas you grew up in a larger city and then moved to smaller towns. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in a smaller town. And obviously, I'm back here now, but I've lived in larger cities mm-hmm. for a good number of years. And I wanted to get your take on this, that like being in a small town like that, I've, in a larger city, you gravitate toward people. Mm-hmm. And you find your own communities. Mm-hmm. Now, in small towns like this, that's the people that are there are all you have. Mm-hmm. That is, you cannot go out and find a community. That right. just is your community, especially in this time. Mm-hmm. And small towns like this are just so full of fucking sadness. Mm-hmm. And that is a major point of the film is that everybody just has this looming sadness and depression, which is why... I, this carnival had been here before. Yep. And now it's back again to reap the sadness. And mm-hmm. it's just one thing that I found very, very interesting is growing up in this small town. Like it's a little, it's larger than where this film is set, mm-hmm. but you get to like kind of knowing some of the people around town and, you know, shit gets around about, Oh, well this person did this and this, you know, this happened to this person. It's just, man, small towns are just so full of, personal sadness mm-hmm. that's really reflected in this film fucking beautifully well I, i've noticed because i will have a caveat i did grow up in those environments but my mom's from a very very small town in minnesota it's winona it's this tiny itty bitty little place it's got a college in it well it's bigger now but when i was growing up i would spend a summer there so, you know, you spend the entire summer there. You got one main street and ten, seven side streets, four bars, and a grocery store. Mm-hmm. And um, I find that you couldn't find a community, but you'd find an activity. Whatever that activity was would draw whatever people, and that's what you'd do, and that's how you'd identify whatever. So it wasn't the people. You, yeah, you are. You'd see the same people. I guarantee if I went to Winona, I could bump into somebody I saw when I was 10. Right. And they steep, they stay, that sadness. Yeah, because there's nothing else. There's no outlet for it. Exactly. And that's what just this constant sadness in these small towns, it just really struck me. Like the the barber, when you meet him at the beginning, and he must have cut my hair a thousand times, mm-hmm. always talking about faraway women that he would never know. Mm-hmm. God, and those... it's just... Watching all of these people, not not like rot away, mm-hmm. but in small town America, that kind of is the thing. Either you leave, mm-hmm. which in that time, I'm guessing even fewer people was this, did. I think it was set in the 30s. Yeah, I'm guessing even fewer people did back then. Well, where the fuck are you going to go? Exactly. The same small town 30 miles away? Right. And like I just, it really got me thinking like, yeah, I mean... Large cities have their own different kinds of sadness, and it may be a little bit more actually tragic. You know, yeah. Homelessness, people starving, kids being murdered, yada, yada, yada. But watching these small-town people who have just lived these entire lives mm-hmm. without ever like reaching any sort of a peak or pinnacle and just kind of... It's like a dud firework. Right. It just kind of fizzles away and then sits there. Mm-hmm. And it was just so fucking depressing mm-hmm. to watch all of these people, like the barkeep mm-hmm. who had lost his arm and leg. Like, God damn, man. Whoever the fuck they got to play that guy. When he when he rang that bell to get the ticket, you rang that fucking bell, homie. 
He rang the fuck out of that bell for real. Right. But, and then the entire community surrounds him and is, yay. And he like almost starts crying because mm-hmm. he wants to prove that he's, you know, cause he was the old football player Yep, that he's still strong and can still do this. And it's just, man, it, it looks like a small personal victory, yeah. but it is the saddest goddamn thing. Everything do because remember when we're introduced to the school mom, you know, it, it was said that she was one time the most beautiful woman in town exactly and you're, you're hearing this and you're like fuck man because she kind of lo- ended up looking like uh like the um the guy from baskin oh jesus the face when you see her dead on with those lips i'm like oh jesus <laughs> oh no this poor woman and then they had diane ladd player yep <laughs> oh all i could think of was charlie's angels dude mm. mm-hmm. you ever watch any of those movies the Charlie. Oh yeah, I watched all of them. Yeah, I find them supremely entertaining. They're dumb as shit. Well, when I saw Diane Ladd, girl, I didn't know you could get down like that. Charlie, how you just get down like that? Fucking song was in my head for all goddamn day. And the other thing that this movie tackles that I thought think is very interesting, and it, I I haven't read much Bradbury if I'm being very honest, mm-hmm. but just. A little concept to make it feel lived in. This child dealing with having an old dad. Yeah. Because we all knew somebody that had an old dad. I am an old dad. I say, we all went to school with that kid. Yeah, we knew kids that had an old dad. Mm -hmm. And just watching the, not depression, but knowing that there's something that he and both yeah, both he and Jim are like missing out on. Mm -hmm. Because Jim's father is... Gone, gone or dead yeah we don't know and i couldn't tell whether his dad was a veteran or a preacher like an itinerant preacher because things were said kind of intimated but nothing was ever finalized in my memories of the book i remember that um the gypsy character pam greer um oh, oh man <laughs> and she it would, I knew she was in the movie, but it took me a second to peg it because I'm used to Foxy Brown. I'm used to her more outrageous characters, you know, and she acted the fuck out of that. But what bothered me is that was the desert witch with the sewn lips. Yeah, she, the character that she's supposed to portray in the book was the desert witch. Oh, with a sewn mouth. She could see but couldn't speak. It, you know, this whole thing. And, uh, but I didn't care what they did with it. Cause I was like, Pam Greer. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't need a desert witch. I know what that is from the book. And there was one other difference that kind of, it was interesting because they didn't do it in the movie. I think it's better for me personally. It makes me happier when all the rigmarole was going on with the carousel in the book, Mr. Nightshade went a whole turn on the merry-go-round. So got older. And that's how the book, you know, that's how the book ended. It didn't end that way in, in the movie. So, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing that I was wondering is because it was, yeah, very much intimated that uh, Jim Nightshade was going to get on that carousel to mm-hmm. be an older man. Yep. And to possibly fuck his mom. <laughs> okay. I say, there, there was a whole lot of uh, him wanting to look exactly like his dad, and mm-hmm. it, it seemed like for a very strange reason. I didn't get that, but... <sighs> yeah. 
You might want to talk to somebody about that. That could have just been me being very tired. Like, is that kid trying to fuck his mom? Oh no. (laughs) We've seen some fucking egregious movies lately, dude. So it's not it's not an unusual thought. But I'm not thinking that. And we're as fucked up as the rest of this movie is. Oh god, they're oh this movie. Oh, this movie, dude. Mr. Dark trying to take Jim Nightshade, like, under his wing and Mm. giving him all of these promises on top of promises to basically, yeah, fuck everybody else. Oh, God. Come on, Jim. The blood dripping from the hand, dude. Oh, man. That was so goddamn gross. (laughs) And the fucking dog. You know you're going to get busted. All those great scenes were great scenes. Mm -hmm. I I didn't chamber that, but I wish I had. (laughs) Dude, every time anything happened on and the fucking Ill, the part, have you heard of the Illustrated Man? Seen the movie? Read the book? The story? Anything? Uh, no, hit me with it. The Illustrated Man um, is a series of stories. The, the guy's a sideshow guy with all the tattoos, and each each tattoo is a story that moves and tells its story. It's badass. Oh, well, all right, yeah. Well, Mister Dark had those moving tattoos. Sure did. Oh, that was the shit. Uh huh, and. I mean, Jason Robard's performance is fucking fantastic. Not only in this whole film, but in that uh, marching band scene oh, God, where yeah. he stops into the bar and tells him that he's looking for these kids. Uh-huh. And the way he grills him outside, and Jason Robard's just trying to play it as cool as possible while it, it this was... man has his son tattooed in the palm of his hand. Yeah, well, um, those kids, I believe that's Herb Finkelstein and that's uh, Tom Sawyer from the neighborhood. Yeah, good kids, both of them. <laughs> You're lying to me. Ah, no, I'm not. It's all good. I gotta go, <laughs> dude. I, I usually you see Jason Bro- Robards as a more take charge, like you know, bombastic. Yeah. And the fucking scenes where him and Jonathan Price are acting together It's worth this whole fucking movie, dude. Well, I mean, I thought his best performances were when talking to his son. I, when, yes. when he's being this old, old man. Mm-hmm. It's telling old. a story about how he drowned and yeah. couldn't save him. And I'm fucking like, as a dad, I'm just like, as an older dad, I cannot do. Like, I would like nothing better to run for a half hour with my kids. Just fucking chase them, you know, actually play tag. How many times have I said, dude, not now, man. I'm fucking beat. Uh, let's go sit at the table. We'll, we'll play Yahtzee or something. I, I can't. You know, they want to run and jump, and I'm just like, I, or God forbid something could happen to, or something happens to them where I'm not equipped to deal with it. You know what I mean? Just the thought that there's something that I can't protect my kids from fucked with me. And to end that scene where he's talking about how Jim Nightshade's dad saved him from the thing, from the river mm-hmm. because he was stuck on the riverbank and couldn't do anything to cap it all off with his son climbing up the ladder to go up and dad you can come up this way and basically it, it's a smaller scale repeat of everything that they just discussed mm-hmm. and he well no I, i'm gonna finish my cigar well you're more than welcome to dad like i i have to lock up will uh, every, mm-hmm. every excuse to you know Make it seem like he could, but you know full well he's looking at it, and the way he plays it, mm. his facial expression seals it. That yeah, there's no way I'm getting up that. And you know? and what what sealed it me? I mean, he his portrayal is as a, a caring father, a wounded but caring father. But when he finally gets to, 
he knows the kids are down there and he gets down to the grate and winky winky. Mm-hmm. That was fucking amazing because he's finally able to do something that protects the children. He's finally able to do something. And in that moment, oh, gave me a lot of feels. Man, I, I think my favorite character easily is the uh – Guy who works for Mr. Dark, the big red-haired guy. Oh, yeah, Roberts. I I love that fucking dude. He's just the big, giant, like, old-school carny. Mm -hmm. Always got the big, like, Pinocchio, the guy that runs the Kid Island and Pinocchio cigar hanging out of his... Oh, man, it's fucking Looks like he should be wearing a hat, but just isn't. Uh Uh-uh. Not at fucking all. Just burning the top of that head. And he's pale as shit. Dude, he looks like he exists on meth and fucking elephant ears, dude. He looks like he crawled out of the grave, James. He does, man. It's just like the only reason he's doing it is he's got enough amphetamines in his system to keep his neurons firing. <laughs> but I just love the part where uh, the cigar store owner, after he wins the $1,000, uh-huh. and I think that's very interesting, too, because the way that they shoot it is... Uh, Pam Greer is talking to the barber about women that mm-hmm. he'll meet. Simultaneously, she's sitting on the Ferris wheel because there's no break between that. Right. Presumably showing that she's in two places at once mm-hmm. and that this is, in fact, not a uh, uh, of this earth, I suppose you could right. say. It is a supernatural entity. And when the, it comes back down around in uh, Mr. Robart or Roberts or whatever yeah. helps her off of the. Uh, uh, I'm losing all of my words. Ferris there, wheel. Yeah. Thank you. And he just picks up that big ass cigar, slaps it in his mouth because the cigars owner, cigar yeah. store owner, has disappeared. And remember, he talked about the Cuban cigars, dude. Uh huh. Fucking set up payoff, set up payoff, set up payoff, and they fucking pay everything off, dude. Yeah, it's perfect writing. Again, mm. Ray Bradbury. I don't know much of his work. I'm going to have to get into it. Yeah, it, it has its moments, just like everything else. But, you know, I've read, I, I had a kick where it was all Bradbury all the time. There was a point in the 80s where they re released all this shit. And I took a deep dive. It was that, and, and it was Bradbury and beat authors fucking constantly. From- See, that's the thing. It's That's one of my big blind spots, is because, like, I read. But I don't read a lot of like the classics, and I really you never not, didn't, they didn't make you read Fahrenheit four fifty one in high school. Uh, I dropped out of high school in the tenth grade. Okay, well, uh, fair <laughs> so, enough. No, they sure didn't. Ah, oh, uh, when I went to the alternative school, we got the first Harry Potter book on tape. Oh God, I'm we all old. said no, we're not reading this. So we got to play checkers while listening to Harry Potter. Hey, that then. was our world literature class. Wow. But either way, like I, I would like to get into some like some of your Bradbury, your Vonnegut, your Harlan Ellison, some of these oh, yeah. older authors that wrote these classics that I've just completely avoided. I, and that was really all there was when I was a kid. I had a uh, half-brother, and he'd, he'd gotten into some trouble, but he'd left all his books. Fucking every Bradbury, every Ellison, all that, all the tour books, all those like weird barbarians set in the past with motorcycle novels, all that shit. Mm-hmm. I fucking eat, breathe, and shit all that because there was nothing else to do. You got three channels. Right. It's either that or go to fuck outside. Screw that. Yeah. <laughs> Read so, all that shit. If I'm going to get into like, I guess, more contemporary classic literature, I guess, would I don't know if that's how you'd categorize it, but. 
It's not like Jane Eyre. No. I'm not reading that bullshit. Fuck a bunch of all that. But yeah, I, I really would like to get into that. Except for like, I still have really no interest in reading a whole lot of Stephen King. Because, I mean, Stephen King's got a lot of turds out there. Yeah, I think I, I stopped, stopped reading Stephen King about, I think, right after Rose Matter. But I'd read, uh, they were all coming out. And I'd just get them. They'd be around. And there was nothing the fuck else to read. And I, they're enjoyable novels. But yeah, there was a couple turds. And I'm like, I'm about done with this turn. Because I think I read, was it The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough of, out of Stephen King. I've had plenty. Well, when he, when, he re, when he re-resurrected the Gunslinger series, I was all the fuck about that. But, you know, it, it's more of a hit or miss. I got to kind of read a couple chapters and see if it's worth it, you know, worth buying for me because I want this type of king. And obviously, as people progress and write, they're going to change from what I want them to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he occasionally writes one and I'm like, oh, that's the king I like. Boom. But I'll never not read them. Yeah, fair. Yeah. But it's, again, it's something you, you grow up with. Oh, shit, another one came out. I'll check it out. See, I. Rarely, I, I don't want to say I've never, but rarely have I gotten to the end of a Stephen King book and found his ending satisfying. And I know that's a huge criticism, criticism of mm. Stephen King. That's not like just me individually saying, I don't like it. Yeah, well, but, see, for me, I, 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 the reason I like King's writing is the internal dialogue made real. Because that's how the inside of my head is. Just constant talking, constant narration, constant thinking about ridiculous shit. Well, he writes that. So I'm like, oh, fucking, you know what the inside of my head looks like. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm just going to hang out and see what the inside of your head looks like. That's cool, you know? And I love how the narration in this film just straight up introduces Royal Dan. I was just like, yeah, it's this weirdo that came to town selling lightning rods. Fucking, the thing is, um, Mr. Fury in my head was more of a, a drill sergeant and less of a grizzled prospector. Yeah, because I was very confused as to, like, narratively, I guess it might be stronger in the book, but narratively why he was there and why it couldn't have just been, like, a father and son's love that defeat uh, Mr. Dark, because it's kind of both. Mm-hmm. I... That, that was the one one misstep that I, I thought that this, at least this film, mm-hmm. had going against it was... Well, they already kind of defeated him by putting him on the carousel. And then uh, Mr. Fury came in with his lightning rods and really well, sealed the deal. Well, Mr. Fury in the book had more of a, a bookend. You know what I'm saying? He's there, front, middle, back. And his story does have more of a through line in the book. I just don't remember exactly what it was. I just remember he was more more heroic and more less... More present. Yeah, more present, more heroic, more of a, a, a figure, more of a presence. Because him getting fucking tortured by Mr. Dark in the middle of this mm-hmm. is pretty goddamn intense. When's the lightning coming? Like, like I fucking know? Yeah. yeah come on. It's lightning. Eat a bowl. Yeah. He's just in an electric chair. Oh, yeah. They are just torturing the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Until, to the point where Will has to yell, stop. I know. Oh, this movie, dude. This fucking movie. I enjoyed the living shit out of it. Uh, I could have used, and again, I'm sure it's something that the book went into a little more, but I could have used a little bit more as to why the Hall of Mirrors was important. It was more important in the book, and um, I I think there were things that were cut and things that were added because... You the, have to, to, yeah. to make but, it a film. But there's, 
No, but there was a big to do. This this movie went through hands. You mentioned Stephen King. He wrote a draft of this. Oh. Um, it was originally intended from Ray Bradbury to be directed by Gene Kelly. So that's taking it back even a little further because um, Gene Kelly was directing what mid seventies, mid to I, late seventies. I, I don't know. No, I'm just saying. Um, it went through that, and then um, they had the first cut, and it didn't didn't go well. So they added scenes. That's why the kids look weird, had wigs on and shit. Oh yeah, because in any of the like, not any of, uh, in quite a few of the actual horror scenes, mm-hmm. Will is markedly older. Well, and and the overt horror scenes were supposed to be different because they couldn't get the CGI that they had at the time. Because one of the first movies, this and Tron, I believe, were the first two movies to use CGI on film. Huh. But it couldn't get it to make it what it wanted to make. So the horror was more inherent in the writing, so they had to cut it and add actual visual horror because it had, it does, this movie does have a lot of Disney stink on it. Had it been in not Disney hands, I think that it would have been darker with less of the less of the big big visuals, the bookends. Right, and I think that was in, more intended. The dark was supposed to become from the interpersonal. The dark was supposed to come from the idea of the carnival and what it represented. But they had to make it visual. Of course, they wanted to sell it. And there's no that it's sold and it's good, and I enjoy it as it is. But I would like to have seen that cut before they decided they had to add things because I think it would have been more of a psychological more of our interior thing oh and for me it definitely was a lot of the like visual horror it was fine but again with seeing uh will being markedly older mm-hmm. and like the spiders it was fine yeah but, that was the spiders was a big add-on yeah and but yeah like the green mist mm-hmm. it, it was eh. fine for 83 whatever but it didn't really to me even add much to the story mm-hmm. so again, i could have done without that and like I said, to make a book into a 90-minute film, you have to cut stuff. You have to change stuff. And no, that's just how... But no, this was originally written as a screenplay and turned into a book. From the screenplay, it was written by Ray Bradbury, intent to be made to a movie, initially. That's where the Gene Kelly directing. So he made a book from that screenplay, and then it was readapted. That's how that came to be. So it, it was originally a screenplay turned into a book, turned back into a screenplay. Right. But again, when you're trying to take a novel and turn it into a film, there are things that you have to cut and you have to change because oh, yeah. you can't, like, look at The Shining. Mm. You can't fucking film The Shining. No. <laughs> not as written. No, no. Not even a little. Speaking of Stephen King. Mm-hmm. But yeah, with that, like I said, with the, some of the stuff that didn't really carry over like the house of mirrors like i understand it transforms people but also like the to my knowledge the barber didn't go in that hall of mirrors neither did the cigar store owner he just flat out vanished from thin air on the The ferris wheel the only the only person it was really 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 there for was uh the school the school mom yes and when she came out of there and she was all dazed and confused and couldn't answer questions from the whispers, oh, my, my nephew's coming. Was her nephew coming before she went in the mirror? That's a, there's no possible way because that, that kid is clearly just the shrunk down version of that girl. Right, but are, are we supposed to intimate that all of that was set up in the Hall of Mirrors? Because I, I don't know if she mentioned it before. If she did, that'd be fucking weird. Right. 
You know, it'd be even weirder. All of a sudden, there's just this changeling-esque child in her fucking home. No. Oh, that would have just... Who breaks her window and then promptly runs away back to the circus. Oh, Jesus, that fucking kid, man. That fucking (laughs) kid. Oh, less is more sometimes, homie. But that's what I was... One of the last things that I wanted to get to was, do you think that Dark was actually defeated and this is the end of uh, this, I guess, for lack of a better term, circus? I think he was vanquished without Dark getting what Dark needed, which was the sadness. So I think Dark's weakened and it's going to take longer for the carnival to gather enough steam to come back. That's what, because, I mean, this is clearly a thing that just is feeding on, it's a, a, a meditation on, like, generational sadness. Mm-hmm. Because clearly it had been there before. He remembers uh, Jason Robard's father. Right. Oh, the preacher. Yeah. <laughs> Take a look at this journal that he wrote. <laughs> yeah, what a douche, man. And. Yeah, it, and it, it, again, all of that shit just hits. It hits, it hits, it hits. And it wouldn't, to me, as a child, but watching this as an almost 40-year-old man, it's, oh, man, look, watching him tear these pages out and just watching the regret on mm-hmm. Jason Robard's face as he realizes that, oh, yeah, all of these wasted years until I finally decided to be a father and then more sadness on top of that because I've wasted all of this time. And it's so fucking heart-wrenching see i wish i could have seen this movie as a child i saw this as a very emotionally and you know i was basically a child but i was 14 i think when this came out um so it it hit like kid version but i wonder what like if i had seen it when i was 17 and now as an adult adult you or even know, like 10 yeah i'm just saying you know i think it would have hit different but it, the way it the way it differentiated itself at different points I love that, but I, I think what the biggest part of this movie is and what makes me believe that the circus is coming back is that everything is hinted it's cyclical. Everything. Exactly. Everything makes the little circles within circles within a giant circle. And at no point are any of these circles broken. Jason Robards is still sad. They're a little happier, but that wistfulness is never going to go away if they never leave this town as you mentioned. So you know everybody's just going to stay static. So there's still going to be a sadness that that Carnival can feed on. It just has to get deep enough for it to be strong enough to pull them back. And again, that's so fucking dark. Oh yeah, there's a Carnival that comes around and it feeds on everyone's sadness, their insecurities, Mm -hmm. their loneliness. And did you notice that all the bargains, if you think about a Faustian bargain, you're giving up your soul, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What these guys, what these people give it up for? A little youth. A little youth. A thousand dollars. A thousand dollars. A hoochie dance. And did you notice there, that thing? This is a PG movie, okay, dude? Mm-hmm. They made that just somehow dirty. Oh, they sure did. And fucking the choice to make him naked. Mm-hmm. To make him naked, like all of a sudden, every, there are all the hoochie dancers, and you're just, and you can see the sweat and the bangles, and I'm just like, wow. And then all of a sudden, he's naked. I'm like, oh my great ugly moogly, this is nasty. Oh yeah, it's real dirty. And they did it with a PG movie, man. Well, I mean, there wasn't a PG thirteen at the time. No, that was just before PG thirteen. Quite, I think. Yeah, what, a few years. Yeah, I think what what PG thirteen came out. What eighty. 
85, 84? Yeah, because it was a reaction to both, like, Temple of Doom and Gremlins. Yes. And they were like, well, this isn't uh, for, like, adult adults, but it's also, like, too much for kids. But your dad died in a fucking chimney, so... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, man. Yeah, great, great. One of the most confounding speeches in film history. I was like, why the fuck is that in this movie? Because it's dark and weird as shit. Uh And back when Spielberg used to make really dark and weird as shit things. Mm -hmm. Spielberg was attached to this movie at one point. Oh, I don't doubt it. Uh, Right around the time King was writing. Can you imagine what this movie is? Like King written, Spielberg directed with some money in it? it? It'd almost be like Gremlins. Yeah. Yeah, directed by Joe Dante, produced by Chris Columbus and ah, Steven Spielberg. Wow. Or written by Chris Columbus, mm-hmm. directed by Joe Dante, produced by, by Steven, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg. Holy shit. It's all right. I followed you. I knew exactly what you were saying. No, I'm just saying, holy shit, what a lineup. Yeah, it's just fucking dream teams. But I, I don't give a fuck because this movie exists, and I don't care who could have done it, who could have acted in it. Who this exists as it is. And fucking A, I'm glad it does. Yeah, and again, it really brings me back to a time when, oh yeah, we used to be able to scare kids mm-hmm. and give them these adult situations that no kid maybe would have understood, but it plants that seed. And there, okay, there were certain themes, even as a younger person, that I got that were more adults. So there's enough in there visually that if you're a kid... Oh, fucking look at the tattoos moving. Ah, there got to be a way. You know, there's shit happening for a kid to just. Yeah. And there's certain kids. Look at this cool rope bridge they have between their houses. Oh, God. I always dreamed that, you know, first of all, I have no friends. But if I did, fucking can you imagine having a a tree bridge fucking from your house to their house? To your best friend's window where you just have to both open the window and go, hey. (laughs) Oh, man. All the joints and beer drunk up in there. Uh, Anyway. Let's say, and. Again, one of the really dark themes in this is uh, Will, his, his just fear of like kind of being abandoned and being left and mm-hmm. nobody being there for him anymore. Yep. <sighs> because clearly his dad's talked about being dead a lot. And when, do you see the look on the kid's face? No, we're not going to talk about that. Yeah. We're not going to fucking talk about that shit. No, yeah, when uh-uh. age, or, uh, When they're sitting on the steps and he has to tell his dad like... I think we need to go to bed. Mom wouldn't like us being up like this, mm-hmm. talking. He makes it a point to say up like this and talking, which means that at some point he has said some shit to his son that was highly inappropriate to be saying to a child. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, it's intimated that he's been manic depressive for quite some time. Yep. I mean, after watching another man have to save his son, yep. I could imagine falling into a deep depression and losing one yeah constantly talking about death yep man this is a real fucking dark movie for disney and when they get back to the library dude oh there's just so much in this movie man we we'd have to extend this for like two or three we've had a couple in a row there's just so much to cover so much to cover so much left unsaid and we didn't we i feel like we barely scratched the surface man yeah it's it's a very, very complex film, and on many, many different levels, it's expertly written. Mm-hmm. And beautifully filmed. Beautifully filmed. Because <laughs> the visual style could, like, almost started leaning into Escape from Witch Mountain. I don't know if you saw that one. 
not in a, maybe 30 years. Yeah, but it had that, it could have had that feel because some of the visuals, you know, they shot at Disney, you know, they shot in Burbank, part of it they shot, you know, and it could have really, it almost started having that feel, but in expert hands, that was an addition rather than a subtraction. Because it wasn't a whole movie. It was a bit of it that needed to feel that way. Mm-hmm. It was a visual shorthand of the time, which seems cheesy to me now, but it was it was a filmmaking technique that was used. So, And these are things I have to remember. When you saw the cheesy, when you saw the smoke chasing, you yeah. know, at the time, that was that was pretty badass. Yeah. Now I'm like, fuck. No, again, Damn. my problem wasn't so much with the visuals it, a little bit but more or less that it was the well, you don't need that you got enough going on here that you didn't need to add green smoke and and one i was just thinking just a weird tangent um when they made the barber the bearded lady mm-hmm. how much extra that gave to that because he he fancied himself a ladies man now he's a lady but that was the thing. He wasn't a lady. Right. Man. That's all he wanted to be. Right. So that that was that extra twist, that extra fucking uh, yeah, fuck to the, the, the monkey's paw. Oh, it monkey pawed the fuck out of this, man. It was beautiful. Uh, James, mm. thanks. Hey, no problem. Appreciate I'm- it. Because this is a film that I would have never fucking watched. Well, I was thinking about it because you do you do those oddball movies with Brad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how can I bring something that's both oddball, something that I want to do, that's horror, that's different? And this has been rattling around in my brain probably for three months. And I was trying to figure out a way. I forgot about it. I forgot YouTube exists, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the manner that I could watch a film on it, especially one you can't fucking find. You can't find this on anything. Well, I suppose you could find it on Disney. Uh, maybe. But I don't think, I don't know, because some of the themes they made have just pushed it away. Yeah, it might be one of those like lost in the vault kind or, of deals. Or it could be there were a lot of hands that touched this and there might be some legal issues about how they can show it and how they can't show it because somebody lost the rights to something. And it's not every day that you would turn on a Disney film and, yeah, watch a man grip something so hard that he drips blood onto a child's face mm-hmm. or watch a man's hand just split open. And and if I really think and about... a th- really disgusting visual effect, too. If I think about the symbolism, I'm trying to remember it was... Was it Nightshade, the picture of Nightshade that he squeezed or the picture of the blonde-headed kid that he squeezed? I believe it was Will. Again, I could be wrong. Squeezed Will, and did it land on Jim? No, it landed on Will. Okay. Will had the blood on his Because I would have, I would, could have spun this into a whole different thing if it would have been one or the other. But that's just my brain being stupid. Yeah, l- like Jim trying to fuck his mom. I, yeah. I, I threw some shit on there. It's all right, it's all right. Uh, mm. James, mm. I, uh, I got no more real final thoughts, but would I Would you recommend this movie? Oh, I, I was getting to that. I absolutely would recommend this movie i think anybody get a chance to check this out again fucking do it man yeah and as of current at the time of this recording it is available in its entirety on youtube Mm -hmm. and man if they made a nice restored version of this ooh, i might have to get that or an og cut hell yeah dude you know because i i i'm learning to appreciate like fan cuts like to see a movie the, the way that they want to see the movie 
using the tools that we have. I think that's cool as shit. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of times they're clunkers and pieces of shit, and they need to be put in the order they are for reasons. Right. But sometimes they'll throw something in, you're like, fuck, that, that works. That really works. Let's see. And then sometimes directors need to uh, cut their films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Zack Snyder in your four-hour Justice League. Yeah, shoot your darlings, homie. Yep. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, on that note, um, this is the opposite of what usually happens. It, it I've sure had to is. pee for about 40 minutes. Oh, dear. Uh, I'm about well, ready to puddle up your couch, homie. Well, uh, you can find us. You can send us an email at horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on, we have a Facebook group. We have an Instagram page. If you'd like to go to Apple Podcasts or at the top of your Spotify app, five. five stars. And five words. Uh, we have some stuff coming out as well. Soon as the new Diablo 4 comes out, we are going to be streaming it. You can find me mm-hmm. on Twitch at horror underscore vomit underscore Chris. And my zine should go live in three weeks. There will be an actual hard copy horror vomit zine. Right now, it's the vomitorium. That's still something I'm working on. Indeed, Arena. Absolutely. So that's something else we can uh, put out if you're interested. And as always, go to www.becomingemilymovie.com and... uh, Throw money at Brad! Because he's got some cool shit working. Let's get a fucking movie made, baby. Hells yeah! Alrighty. James? Yes? uh, Do you have anything else that you would like to say? Uh, Is there any way that you'd like to extend this? No. And in any way possible? You can go fuck yourself right about now. Should I push the button? Push the goddamn button. Should we be done? Done. I should call it? Yes, call. You push the fucking button.